Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I'm really excited about this week's guest. She's a fashion and social media expert. She's a former special projects director of Harper's Bazaar and co-founder of Two Black Girls, a consultancy that educates brands and influencers in the fashion and beauty space on inclusion and diversity. Welcome, Chrissy Rutherford. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. Happy- I'm so excited to be here. I just saw that it was your birthday. Happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Are you an Aries? No, I'm a Pisces. It's Pisces. I don't. I don't know anything <laughs> about horoscopes. I just know that my birthday is in March, and I'm an Aries. And I feel like okay. we talk about like horoscopes and stuff. So it's like maybe she's an Aries. Also, I don't know. No, so Aries starts about March 21st. Okay. So what are like the distinguishing differences, I would say, between a Pisces and an Aries? Now I'm just like going to harass you about this because I'm like, I know you know. So of course. So Pisces is the last sign of the Zodiac. So we actually have like characteristics of all the other signs that come before us. And of course, Aries starts the Zodiac. So Aries are like very bold and I think like sort of fearless people. Um, whereas Pisces are a little quieter, like we're very emotional, very sensitive. Um, I've had a, one of my very close friends throughout college is an Aries. And like, I just always like, she's just like a boss ass bitch. Like that's ha- the only way I can ever describe her. I like your description of Aries better than mine, which is assholes, because (laughs) I'm an asshole and every Aries I know is also an asshole in like a fun way, though, like a fun kind of asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but nevertheless, a little bit, just just a little bit of asshole in in everything that we do and say. Aries is a fire sign. So look at it that way. They're very fiery. I have been called fiery before by my mother. See? In, in in a non complimentary way, <laughs> um, both ways, <laughs> right? Um, so I was, you know, doing my little deep dive on you, like I do with you know all of my guests. I just like do a full fucking stalking session, and <laughs> I know that you moved home during uh, the beginning of the pandemic, and I was thinking about that, and I was like. For me, growing up, living with your parents is super normal. I didn't move out until I was like 28, maybe. Like, I I, I just lived at home because, I don't know, a lot of people that I've met who are children of immigrants just kind of, it's not that big of a deal. But I know that a lot of people always thought it was super fucking weird. And I was like, dude, I like my parents. Like, and also, like, I don't have to pay rent. Like, this is, this is great. Like, what what was the move like for you? Was it just because of, you know, the pandemic or was it just kind of like you wanted to save money? Like what, what was the reason for moving home? It was 100% because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I actually feel that I was very fortunate because uh, my lease ended May 1st. So, um, you know, once I, because I was actually traveling at the beginning of the pandemic, then I came home when New York City was going into lockdown. And so I only spent about six weeks in my apartment by myself, which I did love because yeah. I love being alone. And I just had like a cozy little studio. So I was really like happy as a clam. But and I, you know, I looked at I looked around for other apartments, but I had also just left my job. And I had money saved up, but I know that obviously you can very easily drain your savings account. Yes. 
paying for a New York City apartment. And it was also impossible to even view an apartment at that time because say I would have been looking in April, like that was really in the thick of things just being really dark and sad in New York City. So I just said to my parents, I'm like, listen, I think it just makes the most sense for me to come home for a couple months and like figure my shit out. And then I was like, when, you know, things go back to normal during the summer, I'll just move back. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, I, I think that that was honestly really smart. Like I know a few people who did that. And I think it, it's actually like a really smart thing to do, especially living in New York where rent is just it's, it's, it's just higher than, than any other place really in the world. And, and I totally get it. Like it's an amazing place to live. But I think if you, like you said, like you're super lucky that you were able to just like go live with your parents. They live pretty close by. So like, if you did need to go into the city, like it's not, yeah, it's, it's not that hard, but how has it been living at home with your parents? It's, I mean, you know, it's it's a journey. <laughs> uh, I feel like <laughs> I keep saying to my therapist that I feel like I need to like master this in order to like move to my next level of enlightenment because I still get very triggered by my parents, like mm-hmm. mainly my mother. But like, I'm very close with my parents. That's the thing. And I always have been like when when I was living in the city, I mean, I talked, I spoke to my mother every single day on the phone Yeah, and I talked to my dad a few times a week, but when I was also, when I was working, uh, my dad and I worked in the same building, so I could see him quite often. That's really cool. Yeah. And like my mom would come into the city every so often to see me. So like, I definitely, you know, have always been very close with my parents, but it's completely different when you're actually living with them and they were empty nesters. So they're just like very used to the house always being a certain way. And like, I'm a bit messier than they would like. And I also, because of my job have a lot of packages arriving, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and boxes piling up, clothes piling up. And my mom is just like, this makes me depressed. (laughs) Just like stuff everywhere, literally. She's like, you're really bumming me out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like anytime I spend a prolonged period of time with my parents, I also start to like just regress. Generally, like, like all of the 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 controlling of my anger and emotions kind of like really declines. Is that something that you feel like when you're back at home with your parents? Like you're noticing that like you just are doing things or reacting in ways that you maybe normally wouldn't have when you had your own place. Yeah. I think, I think we definitely like regress into like the roles and like the sort of Mm -hmm. the child that we were. I think it's just very easy to like fall back into that. Um, And so I think that, uh, yeah, there were times where I think it, it, felt like easier to be like triggered by things Mm -hmm. going on or like things that my parents were saying to me. And it's not like, okay, I'm just going to get off the phone. Bye. And like, hang up on them. It's like, you actually are, you have to see them. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in the same space together. So I think that can be kind of challenging, but also because, um, you know, I've been in therapy since I was a teenager, like dealing with anxiety issues and whatnot. Like I've just, I've learned so much. Yeah. 
but even, but even at the same time, like that, it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword because I'm very aware of like the dynamics that are at play within my family and like how we communicate with each other and how sometimes that can be a little dysfunctional, but they can't see it. And even when I do explain, they can't really see it. So I kind of feel like I'm on an Island where it's like only I can really see what's going on. But, um, you know, so that's definitely also been like an interesting dynamic, but I, but I can also recognize I'm like at the end of the day, I mean, my parents are incredible people who only have ever wanted the best for me. So I can also recognize I'm like, whatever is going on is like, honestly, my issue to deal with, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And like constantly questioning, okay, like why is like my mom, like her asking me to do something that like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do. Like, why is that so upsetting to me? No. And I like everything you're saying really resonates just because I think that, and I mean, I don't want to like speak on, you know, your experience, but for me, it's like my parents, there's such a cultural difference. You know what I mean? And so they have these beliefs that they believe to be, you know, this is the norm. This is how it should be. And I think that's where a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication and just general like conflicts come into play. But as I've gotten older, like, you know, I've really just come to accept, like you said, we're like, I'm in charge of, you know, solving this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really put that on them because right. I'm like, they're great parents. They right. only want what's best for me. And even if it doesn't come out that way to me, like, I know that that's not their intention. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, they're older. They've sacrificed so much for me. Like, I can suck it the fuck up and like, you know, try to appease them in whatever way I can while not being disingenuous to who I am and try to find like a balance between making them happy and making them feel good without, you know, just completely dismissing my own wants and needs. Right. And I think that at the end of the day is like the plight of the immigrant child. Is it not like understanding that no matter what, like our parents have sacrificed so much for us and to get us where we are today. Um, And you know, I think that we feel really beholden to them Mm -hmm. and like, and know that at the end of the day, we have to like honor the sacrifice that they made. Um, And, you know, even when I think back on like my career and everything that I've done, like, you know, I only ever wanted like to make my parents proud of me. And I think that's always something that's like in the back of my mind about the way that I operate. It's like, I want my parents to know that like, you know, everything they did was for a reason. And like, I'm that reason. And my success is that reason and all of that. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I, and I know exactly how that, you know, just wanting to make them proud and wanting to make them feel like their sacrifice was not for nothing. And that, you know, you are making the most of this position that they've put you in. And, and, you know, I also think it's really, it's one of those things where, and my parents aren't as like emotional and they're not, you know, they, they, they don't really say much like I am super proud of you in my adult life. I think when I was a child, there was a lot of positive reinforcement as I've gotten older, but I've started doing this thing that I'm constantly telling people to do where I just tell my parents, like, I want to make you proud. Are you proud of me? Just point blank asking them and they don't think it's weird at all. They're just like, yeah, totally. No, I'm proud of you. And like, they're willing to give you what you need. They just 
kind of don't think that you need it because that's not something they grew up feeling like they needed. Like no one was ever giving them a pat on the back for what they were doing. So it's again, one of those things that's not really a norm for them. Is that something that you've experienced? Yes, to a certain extent. Like I do think that sort of like around milestones, like, you know, my parents will acknowledge that, you know, they're proud of me. And I think, you know, they like to brag about me to people in their lives. Uh, But is it something that they're, yeah, they're sort of like acknowledging around like, oh, if I told them like, you know, I just got a new client or something like that, you know, they're maybe not like, oh, yeah, they're just like, that's great, you know, and about their business. Um, But I do think that like, yeah, sort of when it comes down to it, when they like, maybe in like a card, like my mom wrote me, my mom actually wrote me like a random card. I think it was like days after Christmas. And um, so it wasn't like a Christmas card. It was just like a, it was just like a random card. Adorable. Where, where um, you know, she just like wrote me this whole thing, like talking about how like, Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Even just like how she like knew she wanted me, like even before she had me and you know, how proud she is of me and all of these things. And, and it's funny because I always get into a fight with my parents around like Christmas because they're like, well, I don't know what to get you and <laughs> what to shop for. And at times it like makes me feel like they don't really know me. Cause yeah. I'm like, why don't you know what to buy me? Like, I don't need clothes. <laughs> like I, you know, I work in the industry. That's not what I need, but it's, it's things like that. It's like a handwritten card of you, like telling me how much you care about me, like means so much to me. I don't mean to be like crying. No. And that's <laughs> really honestly like so beautiful. And it it's, they do these little things that you don't really expect. And it's not for the occasions that you expect it to be. Because again, we, we, there's this cultural difference and we grew up probably seeing all these other families and they do X, Y, and Z for this reason. And then your parents aren't doing it, but then it's not that they're just like, you know, I don't give a fuck about you. It's that they don't express themselves in the way that American society has deemed to be the way you should express yourself at this X, Y, and Z time. Completely. And like, when I think about, you know, was my mom's mom, like, you know, constantly telling her that she was proud of her and, and, you know, and like gassing her up, like, no, (laughs) was busy working. Right. Um, you know, and just like, and again, like also just like trying to survive. And I think, you know, there was, also, my mom had a lot of siblings and, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. So I think yeah. there, there, there is such a huge difference between like how my mother was raised, how my father was raised, um, and between how I was raised. Yeah. And I'm someone who is, because I'm a Pisces, like I'm super <laughs> sensitive and like I really want that emotional connection and, and with, whether that's with friends or with my family. And I really do like love and, and need those, those moments of like, just like emotional, like reinforcement. And I know that you said that you're close with your parents. Is that something that have you guys always been really close? Or is it something that you've worked on more so in your adult life to, to kind of, you know, build that strong relationship? 
No, I think we've just always been close. Like yeah. I have two older brothers. Uh, they're both technically half brothers, but I yeah. don't have them that. Yeah. My mom had a son from a previous relationship. My dad had a son from a previous relationship and they're 10 and 11 years older than me. So then, you know, I'm the baby, I'm yeah. the only girl. And okay, by the time my my brothers are graduating from high school and moving out, um, I'm about seven years old. So I was almost raised as like an only child. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, I'm the baby too. And for a period of time, I was basically the only child. And it's, I feel like that is a special bond in itself because like, you're like the last one. And and I know this sounds fucked up, but they're a little worn, worn down. They're a little tired. They're a little bit, a hundred percent. They're super chill. I feel like at that point and like, they've kind of worked out some, some things and like, my siblings always joke. They're like, you had it so easy. Like we literally had to like, you know, have all these like (laughs) arguments and fighting about staying out and curfews. And you just kind of walked up and was like, Hey, I'm going to the mall. Bye. Like, I know uh, my parents were definitely, I mean, my parents were extremely strict with my brothers, like, like oppressively. So, (laughs) you know, and I think also, considering like they are, they were two black boys. We live in a predominantly white um, area. And I think that was just something they needed to do to protect them. Yeah. Uh, But yeah. So then, you know, as I was getting older, they were still strict, but they were definitely, I could see the loosening of the grip for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, my parents were definitely like objectively strict, but like as an Arab Muslim parent duo, like they were very like lenient and like understanding. And like, I would even go as far as to say progressive, which is hilarious. Um, (laughs) But did you feel like, you know, your Jamaican culture played a a large role in your upbringing and your childhood? Oh my God. A hundred percent. Like, you know, it's funny. Once my brother was like, you know, it was sort of like, do you consider yourself American or Jamaican? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm the way that I was raised was Jamaican. I just happened to be born and grew up in America. But like my parents, everything about them is so <laughs> Jamaican. So, um, and you know, both of them were raised, born and raised in Jamaica. Like my mom came to the U.S. I mean, about 15 and then Mm -hmm. my dad, like in his mid twenties. So, you know, their most formative years and, um, you know, I think they've like tried to assimilate where they can, but like the core values of what is going on in the house and the food that we're eating, the music that we're listening to, you know, is just like straight Jamaican. I love that. Um, my, I know that, you know, obviously they're, they're different, but my, my brother-in-law's from Guyana and his family is just one of my favorite families to hang out with. Like, they're just like, so chill, the food, just every, like, it's, it's such a, it's such a cool different, like, I feel like a lot of cultures have these like very similar things about them, but I feel like the Caribbean, West Indian culture, it's, it's, it's like kind of its own thing. And it's just so chill like it's all about just like have being happy and I really fucking love it yeah yeah I think yeah in general like Caribbean culture is all like quite similar but yeah. there's like nuances depending yeah. on the country but like um yeah I do think you know having a good time and being happy yeah. and, and you know not letting things get you 
down all the time is definitely, you know, they have a very like sunny outlook. For sure. Like they're super into just like being like everyone enjoying themselves and having a good time. Like in as an Arab child, that is not, I'm not saying that like, you know, we were all like crying in the corner, but like my parents are two Palestinian people. Let me just tell you, they're super emo. Like they just like want to watch the news and then just like, and then just like talk about like all of these horrible things all the time. Not like just in a way where like, that's kind of what their norm was growing up. So like when I see this complete like polar opposite of it, I'm like, holy shit. These yeah. people are just like all about like, you know, everyone enjoying yourself and having a good time. And like, that's awesome. Like that's such a, I feel like a positive environment to grow up in. Yeah, I know. And even, you know, my mom will always say like around like Christmas and the holidays when she was like growing up, she would always say like, we had nothing, but we were happy. Like mm-hmm. we had each other. And yeah. that's, I think that is, you know, that is really the essence of it. It's a, I think it's a really healthy mindset to like also have where you're very content with what you have, but not in the way where you're like, well, I'm just going to like stop hustling or stop working. But like, just just being happy with, you know, what you have in the moment. And still, I I really think that that's genuinely like what I always try to like achieve. And I think that it's, it's really cool that it's kind of a part of their culture to like, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to hustle. And I'm also just going to be happy and, and, and content. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so I know that you kind of have been very open about mental health and your, your journey and just generally being vulnerable online was, Mm -hmm. In your household, I know you mentioned uh, going to therapy at 13. Were your yeah. parents kind of um, like pro mental health kind of not, maybe that's not the word I'm looking for, but I just know that for a lot of children of immigrants, like their parents are very kind of dismissive of mental health issues right. and, and the general counseling. The idea of counseling is just kind of like, for what, like, what do you need counseling for? You're like, your life isn't that hard. Uh, yeah. Was that something that they were pro or was it something that you wanted? Well, I think like now in hindsight, I'm like, just like, thank God that my parents had the good sense to pursue this for me and also came recommended by my school. So I think that's also why they knew it was the right thing to do. I mean, my mom um, is a nurse, so she like is in the medical field, but like when it comes to mental health, like, no, my parents are not anything they know is through my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely my dad is a retired physician and like, he's just like, you know, if you're sad, go pray and like, right. You go for a walk. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's his solution to it. He's not opposed to it, but he's also just kind of like skeptical of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that, it like my situation was just like kind of dire. Like I couldn't go to school because I was anxious. So um, it was like, okay, uh, like I need help. Yeah. 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 Like it was kind of one of those situations where it was, it was the right thing to do. And so they they went forward with it. And so have you consistently been um, in therapy since then? Or were there points where you kind of took breaks? Yeah, I've been like in and out of it. Um, You know, I was in it through most of like grade school, but even I think by the time I got to high school, I probably wasn't going anymore. Um, I went, I started again at the very end of college, like maybe my senior year stopped again. 
And then I think I started in like my early to mid 20s, like I think around 24. And I've pretty much been consistent with it since then, except for like, I took like a 16 month break um, at one point when I was like switching therapists, because I just wanted to like, see almost like, can I take the training wheels off? Like, yeah, okay, without it. Yeah. Um, So it was nice to, you know, I know that like, I can stand on my own two feet. Yeah. But it's, has made such a huge, huge impact on my life. And I really could, I don't know where I would be without it. Yeah. And I think that that's just kind of something that a lot of people are coming to realize within the recent years with there being so much more awareness around just general mental health and the importance of like, actually, you know, talking to someone and, and feeling seen and heard and, you know, self-care isn't just like putting on a face mask, even though putting on a face mask is fucking great, but like, you know, working things out that are internal, you know, makes you just generally feel better. Like, I think it's the greatest form of self-care, but, um, I know that you, you had flight anxiety. Is that something that you're still, cause I have terrible flight anxiety. Like I have to drug myself or I can't go on a plane. <laughs> Um, so that was working through that, working through my plane anxiety has probably been like one of my, you know, biggest, um, successes in life because before I, before I got my first opportunity to travel for work while I was working at Bazaar, I hadn't been on a plane in about three years, maybe going on four. Like it was really bad. I couldn't, I would not get on a plane unless I absolutely had to, because like my brother was getting married or like my sister-in-law was having a baby. Like those were the only reasons. And I would literally fly with like my head in my mom's lap, shaking the whole time. And, um, and then I realized that it was, you know, going to become a thing for work. So I just kind of like, uh, I'm very determined. Like if I put my mind to something, even though I'm like scared shitless, yeah. I can work through it as long as like I have therapy and I got a prescription to Xanax, which is mm-hmm. um, extremely, extremely helpful. Again, like couldn't have done it without it. Yeah. And so now I'm at a place where, listen, I'm still scared every time I get on the plane, Yeah. but I can do it and I'm okay. Like my therapist always told me the point isn't to not be afraid anymore. It's to be afraid and still do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's great advice. Just if you're generally like an anxious person, like I, I'm very much so not like, I don't like taking risks. I like Mm -hmm. safety and yeah. And it's so weird because I, you know, was going on 24 hour flights from, you know, JFK to Malaysia when I was like, 12 and had no problem. And then one day I'm like 27 years old and suddenly my mortality becomes very apparent on an airplane. And I'm like, Oh my God, am I about to freak the fuck out right now on this airplane? And I like, I just put my head down and I was like crying, like just freaking out. And then I, I landed and I was like, I need, I can't go back on the flight to go back home. Like, what am I going to do? And so I literally, um, my uncle was able to prescribe me some medication and I haven't really flown without being medicated since it's been quite a few years. And like, I'm feeling better about it, but I'm also just really scared. I think to like, try going on a flight without that, like, I still feel like it's something that I need, but it's, it's just interesting. Cause I didn't realize that so many people experienced 
anxiety going on airplanes. And it's a very common thing that a lot of people, you know, go through. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read Cockpit Confidential? I haven't. Is that something I should read? Yes, you should read it. It's for people with flying anxiety. Um, Also, really funny is my oldest brother is a pilot. So he would make fun of me all the time. Of course, he doesn't fly commercial commercial planes. So I'm like, you fly private jets like that's yeah. on that's on a whole other level. I think if I was flying in a private jet all the time that I would probably feel more safe. <laughs> but um, I think doing it more, it's like immersion therapy. Yeah. A thousand percent. Has really helped me. And it, it's kind of interesting right now because literally I'm about to come up on one year of not stepping foot on a plane. And that's just... I mean, before the pandemic, I was on a plane, I would say at least like every six to eight weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, there were times where I was thinking like, maybe I just need to take a flight just, you know, to kind of like, make sure that this doesn't get You want to ruin your progress. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't want to fall into a place where I feel scared to fly. But um, ultimately, I just I haven't really felt like I needed to travel anywhere. But um, I think I'll be okay. And like, yeah. I have the Xanax. But yeah, it does. It does worry me a little bit that like, I have now gone this long without being on a plane. Definitely. Uh, it's funny, though, because you're like, my brother is a, <laughs> is a pilot. My brother in law is also a pilot. And he's sat down and explained to me exactly how it works, like how safe it is, like, literally, like, he's like, you don't and I'm just like, sir, I just try talking to my fucking brain. Like, I I don't know what to tell you. Like, I just, it's, it's just one of those things, but I actually, um, I went on a flight like a few months ago for the first time since like the beginning of the pandemic. And I felt similarly where I was like, I haven't been on a plane in a long time. Yeah. Am I going to be okay? And weirdly enough, I actually hadn't felt that comfortable on a plane like in the sense of like anxiety, but I think it's because I was more so concerned with COVID. So it, right. it was that like, a, of, it's yeah. like it distracted me because I was just right. like, why did that person take off their mask? Why didn't they put their mask back on? Like, they're not even eating. What are they doing over there? Just being like a, an absolute fucking lunatic about that. So it was a great 10 out of 10 distraction, a pan, you know, a virus, you know, will really take your mind off of it. Um, but I, um, yeah, I definitely can. I know what you mean. Because yeah, anything that gives me anxiety, if I don't do it for a while, because it's that thing where you have to kind of, the more you do it, the the easier it becomes. But yeah. I, I just, um, I really didn't realize how, how common it was to have flight anxiety. Like I genuinely had no idea. And like, the more people I learn about having it, I'm just like, it's so interesting, because I feel like for a long time, no one was really talking about it. I feel like most people are afraid of flying. Right? Like, plane, like planes are scary. They are. they are. They just are. I'm just like, I just, I would feel better if I became a pilot and could fly it myself. That's just honestly the solution. I'm just like, I just need to become a pilot and fly it myself. It's also definitely for me tied into some weird control shit for sure. Oh, well, 100%. That's, yeah. It is a big part of it is not being in control. I, you know, it's like, yeah. of course, like, you know the thought of it like dropping out of the sky or whatever, but <laughs> we're just triggering. Knowing, I know. I know. But it's like knowing that if it was like, you have literally, 
you have no control. I mean, when, uh, when there are like plane crashes and stuff like that, like I get so, I don't even want to know about it. I get so deeply into like reading about it. I want to know like what exactly went wrong. Like the, I mean that Malaysia, like uh, went missing. Like I'm still completely fascinated by that. TikTok still shows me videos about that. Like just like little with like really like suspicious, suspenseful music playing and just like the clips and stuff. And I'm like, thank you for reminding me. I free just constantly trying to forget. So I just, I I don't know. I, when it comes to most things, I do like to investigate them. It makes me feel a weird sense of comfort when it comes to anything to do with like a plane or a car crash. I'm like, I can't look at it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't, I just, it's just, I think it's because I also have like a wild fucking imagination. So things really stick in my fucking head. That's why I can't watch scary movies. Cause I'm like, no, I will be peacefully sleeping in my bed and suddenly an image will flash into my mind and We'll yeah. just never leave. I hear you. I hear uh, you. But yeah, I I think it's really cool though, like just because I think in general being vulnerable online is is scary. Like it's it's because you don't know how people are gonna respond or or how they're gonna feel about it. And also you're you're really putting, you know, your your shit out there. But yeah. was that something for you that you felt like, okay, this is something that I feel like other people will benefit from. So I'm going to do it. Or was it something that felt like liberating? And that's, that was kind of why you, I think it's just honestly, like who I am. Um, You know, I think, well, my first experience with being vulnerable on the internet was writing a personal essay for bizarre about my experiences with anxiety. I did this in about 2014 and that was sort of my like, um, yeah, that was my first foray into like being out and open about having anxiety. And, um, you know, it's something I talk about with friends and say like, you know, my boss at work knew that once a week, like I leave a little early to go to therapy, but I remember the day the story came out, I was like, shit, now people are going to think like I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And, but that wasn't the response at all. It was, you know, everyone was super, super like just everyone was amazing about it. And like, I got so many messages from people who were saying like, Oh my God, I felt the same, you know, I've gone, I've gone through the same thing. And like, this helps me to feel less alone. And that's really what clicked for me was like me sharing my experience um, you know, allows other people who struggle with this quietly, because let's be real, like most people are privately struggling with anxiety. Um, and so me sharing my experiences is just a way for them to feel like, okay, like, I'm not crazy. This is actually normal. Um, and it's okay. And, and I think also what's so important for me is like for people to see that like, sure, I've had this successful career in the fashion industry, but like, guess what? I still have anxiety. Like mm-hmm. I have to travel for work all the time. And like, mm-hmm. I'm scared to get on planes, but I just still do it anyway. And, you know, I do the things I need to do to like manage um, how I feel. And that's why, you know, I talk about going to therapy. Like this is a big part of it and the work that I also just do on my own. Um, and 
these are all, these all factor into my success, like as a human being. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things where like, yeah, you're, you're humanizing yourself to people in a, in a industry where that's not what most people's goals are or were. I think that it's definitely the fashion space is changing so much. And I think it's moving in a, you know, a more progressive direction, but at the same time, like it's, it's supposed to be this effortless, glamorous, like everything is just so fucking perfect kind of thing. And that's how a lot of people view it. And when they aspire to be a part of it, they think like, oh, my life is just going to be like, you know, Mm -hmm. this little fucking picture perfect thing. And it's like, no, you're still, you're still a real person dealing with real human issues. And, you know, that's not to say that you aren't finding ways to cope with it, but it's, it's, it's just the reality of the situation. And I think it's really, for me, when I see you posting about, you know, um, your, your mental health journey, I think it's so great because I'm like, you are someone who is in this fashion world who is very influential in that space. And so when you say these things, it I'm sure resonates with so many people and makes them feel like, okay, I'm not fucking crazy or I'm not a fucking weirdo or there's not something wrong with me because especially for women, we're so critical of ourselves. We're so kind of, it's ingrained in us that we need to just fucking be perfect. And, right. and it's just, it's just not true at, at all. Right. And you know, listen, doing this is not for everyone, you yeah. know, being vulnerable on the internet is not for everyone. Like I had a friend, um, who was saying like, you know, I think being, you know, on Instagram more would like be better for my business and whatever, but like, I just don't want to be out there like that. And I'm like, and you don't have to, yeah. like, you do not have to like people need to understand that this is a choice everyone must make for themselves, but like not everyone is meant to be like that on social media and like yeah. that's okay like that is okay i'm not saying like this is how everyone should be but at the same time i do think you know i think in general in the like fashion and the influencer space like we do i think it is just very common for people to like be projecting constant perfection mm-hmm. and i just i can't i can't connect with that i just it doesn't it does nothing for me no, absolutely. And I think that, like you said, it's it's definitely not something for everyone. And I know a lot of people who kind of felt like, oh, I feel like I should be vulnerable. And then it ends up kind of hurting them more right. than it helps them. And it doesn't make them feel good. And, and I've told friends, right. like, you don't have to, you don't owe this to anyone. If it's not something that feels comfortable or natural or you know if it's something that is ultimately not making you feel good I mean rule of thumb for everything if something is not making you feel good don't do it but like especially that and I think that um for me I I also feel comfortable just talking about things but Instagram never felt like the platform for it which is why I wanted to start a podcast because that I wanted to create a space for these conversations and my my Instagram just kind of never felt like the place for all the conversations that I wanted to have because I feel like, you know, when, I don't know, I feel like when I started my Instagram, I wasn't like trying to like create a brand. I was just fucking posting shit online. So like the demographic just kind of not, they don't all give a fuck about, you know, my anxieties and stuff. Some of them are just like, 
we're, we don't care. Stop, stop your whining. I've actually been right. told by people like you complain so much. And I was like, you know, I do, I do <laughs> not wrong. I am. I do love to complain about things, but, um, also like you don't have to, you don't have to listen to it, but, um, right. No, I think, I think it's really, um, great. Just the way you share it. It's, it is very kind of organic and, and I think it's really important for, for there to be people like you who, who are sharing these things and helping, I'm sure so many young women just feel less alone. Cause I think these are just topics that aren't spoken about that much. And, you know, it, it always just feels good to know that someone else is going through a similar experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think also for me, I'm just like so used to it and, and, you know, I'm someone that just like always loves having sort of like deep conversations about life. Like I'm not really, um, I can't really do the just like surface level thing. So, you know, it very much like is just who I am. And, and so it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel any type of way for me to you know, talk about going to therapy anymore, or, or, you know, that I shared in January that like there, I went through a couple of weeks where I was having really bad anxiety, feeling really depressed in December. And, um, you know, I'm thoughtful about how I share those things though. It's like, I'm not sharing it like in the moment, like, Hey guys, I'm depressed today. Like, I don't feel the need to do that, but you know, in sort, I, I was, I was not posting as I normally would. So after a couple of weeks, I was like, Hey, if you guys have noticed, like I've been posting really sporadically and like, strangely, like I'm just going through something right now. And you know, like when I come out of it or when I have more clarity on the situation, like I will share with you. Um, and that's, you know, just like how I like to approach things, but it doesn't feel, I don't know. I'm like, maybe I'm just like also shameless in a way that like, um, you know, I, it just like comes so easily to me to just like share these bits of my life and, and struggles. And it, it's just like how I've always been. Yeah. And I mean, did you ever feel like, because, you know, you've had a really impressive career journey, you're still kind of doing really amazing things. Did you ever feel like it was going to negatively impact your career? No, not for a second. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. And and that just kind of also is really nice to hear because you, again, working in the industry and, and, you know, I, I really think that a lot of people do feel like you have to project this people who aren't a part of it feel like you have to project a certain image. So it's nice to hear that speaking about, you know, anxiety and mental health didn't make you feel like, oh, how, how is my you know boss going to feel about this or my coworkers or, or anything like that? Yeah, no. Yeah. Never- so when you were uh, working um, for these magazines and stuff, you know, as, as a black female in that space, were there ever times where you were experiencing, you know, racism, microaggression and within the workplace? Yeah, I think I've seen it. I've sort of seen it and experienced it all. Like, even if it weren't necessarily like explicitly directed at me, you know, just the things that people say, if we're like trying to cast like black talent for something, Mm -hmm. oh, they're not on brand. Oh, this might not perform well. Um, You know, 
the kind of like coded language. Yeah, like yeah. I've seen, I've seen that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how, how did you cope with it? Like, were, was it something where you just kind of felt like, cause it's, it's one of those things where like, I find there are certain times where I'm like, is there even a point of me saying anything to this person right now? You know what I mean? Like what will that be productive? I'm pretty bold when it comes to stuff like that. So it like, but there has to be, there has to be a real reason. Like sometimes like people throwing around the like, Oh, she's not on brand, whatever. Like I sort of like, right. I'm going to let that pass, but there are definitely other things that I have not let pass. Yeah. uh, And that I have either gone directly to someone or directly to my boss and been like, that wasn't okay. This is not okay because of X, Y, Z. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I call it out. Yeah. And I think also, like you said, like going and speaking to someone else is, is definitely a route that I think people are less likely to take because you don't, I, I know for me when I experience, you know, even any form of people discriminating against me in workplaces, I didn't want to seem like I was being dramatic at times. Like that was something I was like, I don't want to seem like I'm being overly sensitive or trying to create an issue. And that was something that I had to overcome because I was like, no, this is, this is wrong. Like what's happening is wrong. And, and if my, you know, boss or supervisor or whoever I'm going to speak to doesn't agree with me, then I need to speak to someone else. Like I need to then go to HR and find a route because this shouldn't be happening. And I do need to advocate for myself. And, um, I think that, you know, just generally speaking, I think a lot of women feel like worried that they're going to come off as being dramatic or. Yeah. And I think that's ingrained in us. And I think that's just something you literally just have to like tell yourself, get over that. Because I, I mean, I've experienced that too. You know, yeah. you're like, am I making this like a bigger deal than me? Of course. Like I've had those thoughts too, but um, you know, and you just, you get a gut check from mm-hmm. a friend from family member, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know what we feel and we know what's right and what's not right. And, um, that's what you have to go off of. Like, I just, I don't, you know, get scared about calling out racism because I'm like, there is a right and a wrong to all of this. Yes. I'm on the right side. So I'm like, I'm going to stand in that really fearlessly. Um, because I know that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, honestly, fucking facts. And also like, yeah, like, and you, and that's the thing. It's like, trust your gut. If your gut is telling you that something is wrong, like, you know, like, you know that it's wrong and, and you know that you have a leg to stand on and you're not being dramatic about it. And you just have to, like you said, get, get over it and like push through it. And because, you know, not everyone does feel comfortable uh, pushing course. through that. And so ultimately, like, it's, it's an important thing to do, even if it's for something that feels like, oh, this is just, it's not even that big of a deal. Like, at the end of the day, I think stopping it before it turns into something else is also really important. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I did want to talk to you about two black girls, because I think it's really incredible. And I also really want to take an anti-racism class. Like I, I absolutely should come. I, I just, what, when you were creating this with um, mm-hmm. Danielle, yeah. yeah. What, what was the kind of inspiration behind it or 
Listen, we just kind of sprung into action. We didn't we <laughs> never sat down and said like, "Oh, should we start a business?" Like there was a need for for what we were able to provide, you know? Um it really sparked because I had I had a video that went viral on Instagram talking about um why I think everyone needs to be more vocal on social media about everything that was going on. Danielle also posted a video that went viral and within the next like 24 to 48 hours, both of us had like a lot of influencer friends like reaching out to us to be like, what do I do? Should I say something? I'm scared, this and that. And Danielle and I were just like talking to each other about what was going on. And we were just like, should we put something together and just like teach them? And literally in like 10 days, we had our first class. That's so first of all, that's amazing that you guys were like so proactive and also like able to just like the combination of you two just so powerful and just like, yeah, we're going to fucking do this and, and yeah. get it out in 10 days. Cause it, it needs, there did you, you really did kind of create this thing that it was so necessary for there to be something like that in that time specifically, because I think there was people were really paying attention in a way that I think has never happened before. And it was kind of like seizing that moment and being like, okay, while you guys are fucking super hyped up about this, like here, right. here's some real fucking information for you. A hundred percent. And even on the brand perspective, because then like by blackout Tuesday, we put, we picked up our first two brand clients and I'll tell you, our first two clients were brands that both Danielle and I had spoken to privately in the past about their lack of diversity. Like that's the thing. Wow. It's like we've long been having conversations with brands, um, you know, that we had relationships with or that like, you know, sometimes I would get like emails from people. Once I got an email from a brand, this was like 2019 and they were having a panel about like women's empowerment. And I'm like, how are you having a panel in 2019 with only white women talking about female empowerment? Like that's just absolute bullshit. It's so fucking tone deaf. Like, I don't even know how multiple people like were like, yeah, this is a great idea. Like I just, I couldn't. And then of course, like, you know, they wrote me back and they were like, Oh, like we're still working on like the panelists. I'm like, but you sent out a full invite with panelists names. Um, so whatever, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, like we had long been doing this work yeah. and it's like, if these brands had only actually listened to what we were saying, they wouldn't have found themselves in hot water on June 2nd. I'll tell you that much, yeah. but, um, so yeah. And now, you know, they be- ended up becoming our clients and having to pay us to give them the advice that we had been giving them again. I mean, like, as they the should. Work. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the other thing. Like, I think that anytime I've ever tried to call out a brand for something along the lines of inclusion, diversity, uh, underpaying, just generally treating, you know, people differently when they're not white. Uh, it's unfortunately never, like there's never been a receptive. There's never been a time where they've been receptive to it. It's either been 
some weird fucking formal creepy email just being like, oh, yeah. I completely understand your frustration. Um, however, diversity inclusion is our priority. And it's just like, fuck you. Like, no, it's, it's not because I just made lots of valid points. You did not touch or respond to any of those. And like, you just think that repeatedly saying that you guys care about diversity and inclusion makes you diverse and inclusive. Like that's not how it works. Like just saying something repeatedly doesn't make it. And that's the, and that's honestly the thing about all of this, right. Is that the evidence of whether these brands have been inclusive or not is available for us to see on the yes. internet it's yes. on their website yes. it's on their you know vogue runway um you know show photos yes. it we can see it we know i like, have a I'm list on my notes app don't you even worry like i'm not even joking i literally have a list on my notes app when i see brands and i see their shows or I even see their like brand activations and everyone who they have hired for it is a white girl who looks exactly the same skinny white girl i'm like fuck you like you didn't even you didn't even try you literally didn't even try a little bit like they don't try and it's like it was all just kind of talk to pacify people and be like please still like us and it's like i think a lot of people have just we are so aware of it now and i think people are becoming a lot more savvy and really seeing brands for what they are and I mean, vote with your wallet. Like if you don't like what a brand is doing, don't support that brand. If you love what a brand is doing, support that brand. And it makes a huge difference. And I think that that is something that makes them actually want to change. Yep. And, you know, and I think also what's such an important piece to this right now is that like we need white people to be having these conversations with brands because they can get through to these people, you know, white people listen to other white people. And so you and I can call out these brands like till we're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, they don't, they just don't really care. And it's like, it really is on white people to hold these brands accountable. But that would also require to the require them to have like, immense amounts of empathy and actually give a damn. Yeah. And, and that brings me to kind of, you know, the, the anti-racism forces that you, you guys have created. So mm-hmm. is the main focus just understanding, you know, what racism is? Like, what, what do you feel like, if you were to describe it, like, how would you describe what an anti-racism course is um, at Two Black Girls? So what we do is we really unpack how racism functions in the fashion and beauty space and how it has gone like unnoticed and unchecked for so long. Um, You know, whether that's through like, you know, talking about like cultural appropriation and tokenism um, and even things like street style Mm -hmm. and, and social media algorithms and how those all play into racism. And then we kind of, you know, give them the tools for navigating conversations about race and like how to remove themselves from the narrative when they're engaging in conversations around race. And then we also give them, you know, tips for like holding other people accountable, other brands accountable how to move forward. Um, you know, if you're an influencer, like the things that you need to be asking a brand before you work with them, do I think anyone is doing that at this point anymore? Absolutely not, but they need to be because it's important. 
Um, and yeah, and just like in general, like how to be an ally and yeah, so we do like about an hour long presentation with them and then we do an hour long question and answer. And I think that's, um, you know, that's when people are really able to engage and like ask us any questions that they have about race and like, you know, we've heard it all. And is this something that's available to everyone or is it just for people within the industry? Honestly, it's, I think everyone should take this class. Yeah. yeah. Because it's also, it's not even just about like fashion and beauty, but also like the media and the images that we are constantly being fed, you know, mm-hmm. that has all played into this. So I think especially people who are like in marketing or advertising, um, or just want to understand like how this really functions on this, you know, like sort of superficial level, I think it would be incredibly helpful. We've had a, we've had a lot of people come who are not necessarily, you know, in the fashion industry. So yeah, it's, it's something that everyone could really benefit from. And, and like you said, yeah, I mean, if you've grown up, especially living in America, and you are not white, and you've just been surrounded by all of these images and celebrities and, and everything, and, and there's definitely, you know, a certain image that is shoved in our face that this is the correct way to be and look. And yep. if you don't look like this, fucking yep. figure it out and figure out how you can look more like this, but you never will. And, you know, you know, that that was... I mean, when I grew up, the person that I wanted to look like was Kate Moss. I don't look like Kate Moss. You know, I got to be honest with you. Um, but that that's who I, cause I grew up loving fashion. So, and Gemma Ward and, and, and all these people. And I was like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really, and it's why I think no matter what people say, they're like, oh, social media is bad. And I'm sure there, there, there are definitely a lot of people who've had negative experiences. I've had negative experiences on the internet. Like it happens, but more so I think that, it's become a really great space for young women to feel validated and feel seen and see other women who look like them living their lives, having these careers that maybe they didn't think they would ever be able to have because, you know, you share your story about how you started in the fashion space. And I mean, I think that story for a lot of young girls is like, okay, so I can do this. Like I can actually go out and do this. It's important that we share our stories and and our experiences because these are valuable things to share with young women and just people in general who, uh, you know, aren't white and, and want to kind of take these more creative paths that we have felt like aren't for us for a very long time. Yep. Absolutely. This has been, I I love this conversation so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and, absolutely, and, and share everything. Um, where can people, find you online. Uh, I know you have a newsletter as well. Just plug all the things. Yes. I just launched a newsletter in January called forward joy that is dedicated to like self care and self discovery and self investment and finding joy in all of that. Um, you can sign up for that at Chrissy Rutherford.com. And then you can find me on social at Chrissy Ford And if you want to sign up for a 2BG anti-racism class, you can find us on Instagram at 2BG Consulting. And there's a link in our bio to sign up for a class. And I'm going to have all of those things linked in the episode description. Um, As always, you can follow 
the podcast at Arab American Psycho, where you will see a lovely photo of Chrissy and you mm-hmm. follow me on Instagram at Norte, where you know I'm just doing fucking weird shit. And don't forget to wear sunscreen, floss your teeth, don't be an asshole, and I will talk. Water. Drink your water, <laughs> and I will talk to you guys next Sunday.